Well, hello everyone and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. And I am really thankful to the Lord for this ongoing privilege that we have to connect with one another in this way. Um, I, I do believe that the Spirit of the Lord is launching us as saints into the fields of harvest. And it's, you know, when you, when you talk about the Lord, remember early on, God told us that when you function in the spirit realm, everything is about relationship, which of course is whether you have a relationship with God, I mean a relationship, or you don't, and the authority that then is generated from that relationship. An authority is based upon you accepting your assignment from him and then going forth to fulfill it. Authority is not an absolute thing that you have. Hear me. You know, sometimes Christians will say that, you know, we have authority. Well, only a despot has authority in all things. Now, God, of course, is the judge of all. But you have been given authority in the things that you've been given responsibility for from God. In other ways, you walk by faith and by God's promises. But when it comes to authority, you know, I grew up in the church. I saw people taking authority over all kinds of things that they felt were theirs as a divine right, but they really weren't given the uh, the directive by God to exercise anything in that area. And again, again, a key thing for us as believers is to know what has God given us, know your lane, be faithful in that lane, and stay in it. And, you know, a seducing spirit in the, old, in the New Testament that's supposed to be prevalent in our day, and boy is it, it by its very definition, is drawing people into place where they don't belong, even a peripheral path, even a parallel path. And um, authority is what God has given you based upon relationship with him and you walking in that. And there's great confidence and authority in those things as you're engaged in the Father's business. One time I heard a well-known speaker quoted by someone. Um, he said, you know, every Christian's born with authority. And I would say, no, they're not. They're, they're born with the potential of fulfilling what God's plan is. And through the uh, learning his ways and um, submitting yourself to God and accepting the cup that he's called you to serve in, then authority is granted. But authority is not something that you just are given as a birthright. Authority is placement by God. And all authority from God is based upon serving Him. It's not for your own discretionary pursuits. Now, what about the two witnesses? In the book of uh, in in the book of Revelation, 
where it says that at will, I'm paraphrasing, they were able to call down pestilences and stop the rain and those kinds of things. Don't take that out of context. Part of their mission from God was to represent his kingdom and to dispense the judgments of God against specific nations that were serving the demonic. And in the purview of that, then they were able to make discretionary decisions as to, by, of course, that would be guided by the Spirit as to what God wanted to do. They weren't just out like Tim the Enchanter in Monty Python just waving a rod and sending explosions out everywhere with people applauding in the sidelines. That's what a lot of Christians want, but it's misguided. It's kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes the in the in the old days, like some kids thought, well, I'm going to join the armed services so I can shoot and kill and fire guns and blow up stuff. And then when they get in basic training and then they begin to be trained, how many years had gone by and they haven't blown up anything except for their unrealistic expectations? You only shoot things and blow things up when you have a, a direct command to fulfill the, uh, the agenda of the United States through your commander. So, you know, you can think all you want about holding a really fiery gun and flying planes and blowing up things, but that's, that's fanciful thinking. A, 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 a soldier, a true soldier, would hope that they don't have to blow up anything, that perhaps the big stick you carry and your soft speech will deter your enemies. So, um... We, we are being presented with a great harvest field ahead of us. But what God is working on right now is further development of who we are in him and how we understand him and his ways and to, to go deeper in an understanding and a revelatory experience of the precious things of God, God's spirit, God's face, and how we through the scripture align with that. Our way of being an exemplary functionary in the things that are ahead is by drawing closer to God, understanding him more, and being willing to learn the deeper things of him. Do you understand that? You know, there are a lot of illustrations we could give for this, and then we're going to go to Psalm 51, so if you want to be turning there, that would be great. Um, when I had, when our children were young, uh, we thought long and hard <coughs> before we would allow them to be under the, the care of somebody. We wanted to know who that person was. We really wanted to know them. We wanted to understand whether they were harsh or whether they were firm but loving and caring. And 
we we didn't want to entrust our children to the authority of somebody that didn't represent our values. And same can be said with grandchildren. I see that same characteristic in my daughter as she views her children. And who you let represent your authority in the things that are most important to you is a, is a paramount decision. And you want to know that whoever you entrust that to of the most precious things to you will not only represent you, but will do so in a way that is commensurate with who you are. And that's one of the big things in our society today regarding teachers and schools. You know, some in the progressive mentality would say it's not a parent's right to give any opinion at all about what their student or their children are taught. And if the, the school doesn't like what you're teaching, what at home, they feel that they can come in and correct you. That's totally a bizarre viewpoint, but it's an enemy viewpoint. Who you entrust the most precious things in your life to um, is based upon, or should be based upon, whether those people will fulfill what, who you are and what you believe. And so when we talk about God and authority and representing him in the kingdom, we see, um, we see that God really cares very much about us knowing him. That's the heart of a dis dispersion of divine authority. It's not about you knowing the word of God, even though we must know the word of God. We need to hide it in our heart. But knowing the word of God, the enemy knows the word of God. But it's whether we know the God of the word, whether we allow him to know us, telling example of this was in the parable, I call it a parable, but it really is a, a, a real-time depiction from the mouth of our Lord about the time of the end and a time of judgment, which many in the progressive left don't like. They say, God is not a God of judgment. Well, <laughs> we'll see who's right about that. But these people came to the Lord and they said, Did not we cast out demons, prophesy, work miracles in your name? They obviously knew certain principles in the kingdom. I don't know how they were doing these things, but the Lord didn't contest that they were doing them. What did he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. And that seems a little discombobulated. How could God not know something? Of course, he knows everything about us. But you have to allow God to come into your life, and you have to expose yourself to a measure of vulnerability before him. 
so that you can interact with him on a very deep level. And it's more about you knowing him that then allows him to know you. He's not there to deal with all your subjective issues. If you know him, then you will become like him, to become Christ-like. And through that, then, he knows you. That's the imperative thing. It's not about whether you're moving in power. Let's run over to this conference. Let's keep abreast with all the nonsense that's out there in the Christian community. Do you know the word, and do you know the God of the word? You know, I've seen so many things come and go in my years on this earth in, in Christianity. The hottest, latest trend, and this movement, that movement, and I've seen them come and go. But one thing that will never pass away is the Word of God. And the one thing that will always be is the heart of God. And that's the root of everything we are. Jesus came as Emmanuel, Elohim with us, that we might know the essence of our God and continually learn of him the unspeakable riches the past understanding that throughout eternity will always be available for us to learn and know that's the heart of authority and so we finally get to the passage today and I, I greet all of our Saints Network family I greet my church here at the Father's Church in Dallas. My, I guess I never introduced myself. I hit the ground running. I'm Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor here. We, we welcome you. But on Sunday, we talked, this past Sunday, we talked about what uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7 about um, not being aligned with the demonic. In chapter 6, he talks about that. And he speaks about myriad number of ways that it's possible to be aligned with the demonic. And that is accentuated in our day. Then he says, you need to be cleansed in flesh and in spirit. And we preached on that. And we referred back to Psalm 51, where David is really speaking of the mea culpa of how he would cleanse himself before God. This is not so much about Bathsheba as it is about what David continually did before God. Yes, it was necessary after his killing of Uriah the Hittite, but it was more about a principle of coming before the Lord, how God moved in him, and how, um, how he needed to be cleansed. So without reiterating all of that sermon, which you can hear for yourself, you can even hear it in double time. Create in me a clean heart of God. Renew a right spirit within me. And we talked about what that meant, but particularly this was, may, may I fulfill what your spirit within has given me life to do. That I would align with that and that I would be positioned and upright 
as the wick of my spirit to embrace your fire and to be guided by you. May my heart be um, renewed so that my focus is correct and I'm aligned properly. That's essential. That's essential. But then we come to verse 11, which is our signature passage for today, and it really speaks volumes about how we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit and particularly the holiness of God. And there's such a depth in this verse particularly. And, and I, I, I feel for those individuals who were entrusted back <laughs> 400 years ago to translate what we have as the King James Version. I also recognize that there was the Tyndale Bible, there was the English Bible, there was the Geneva Bible. I understand all that. But what I have right here is the modernized King James. Not the new King James, but the modernized. You know, I have at my home a really wonderful artifact. Um, I have a page from Second Chronicles and a page from Acts 2 from one of the original printings in 1611 of the King James. And I can look at that. It's in the front room where I pray in the morning and wait. It's also where I play with my grandson and where I hear my granddaughters play the piano or where I heard Kelly and Katie play the piano. It's a, it's a, it's a lovely room. But I can look at the old, old English that's part of that original King James printing, and I recognize that a lot of those words were, even though it still seems thou and thee, it's modernized to a degree. But I, I can understand how those guys could, their, their translation in verse 11 is noble, um, but the depth of the words that are used here in the Hebrew is phenomenal. And it speaks a whole lot more to us than what we quickly and concisely read in verse 11. So I'm not faulting the translation, but what I am saying is the almost impossible task of translating the full meaning of this verse. I, I admire the attempt but I also understand that it was impossible for them to really grasp in a concise, um, limited amount of words what was really being said here. So after David says in, uh, in verse 10 that he is, he is wanting his spirit and the heart, which is the control steering wheel of of all that he is to be right with God so that he can fill, fulfill what God created him to be. And we all should say that. We all should believe that. 
we're not on this earth to just be blessed and run around and do what our dream is, our truth, and ask God through prayer chains and mama's prayers to make us successful. We're here to fulfill the will of God, the Father's business. Jesus, the very Son of God, that's what he was about. And we're supposed to be like him. To be like Jesus. Well, what's the Father's will? You know, I hear nonsense. It's preached a lot of times. Well, you know what the Father's will is? is to bless you. Or, you know what the Father's will is? It's all about Israel. You know what the Father's will is? And you go down through this litany of things that are all noble things. But the Father's will is what he put you on this earth to fulfill. <laughs> and you can be busy with all kinds of things and call it the Father's will. You can try to use that phrase to heap blessings on yourself. And you can move a crowd with that. If you tell people that their biggest fear or their biggest want, it's the Father's will to placate that or to provide for that, man, you can build a crowd. But the problem is you're going to have to keep changing your shtick because people are soon going to find out that they're still unfulfilled. And whatever their biggest longing is today is probably not going to be the same in a month. But the calling of God, the eternal calling of God that you're going to have to give account for is the will of God. And if you seek that and the kingdom, you seek that first as your priority, he will add everything to your life. You will be blessed abundantly, but let's not get the blessing cart before the horse. We are the goodly horse. The cart doesn't serve us. We serve the Lord, and God adds to us. So David says right off, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But then he says, verse 11 in the King James, Cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. These are both proactive declarations. The first has to do with God's face or his ways. Because presence here is panim, and it's the face of God. It's God's ways. The invitation to know him, to be face to face, face a face, with God, to partner with the circle of his ways. And this is the seven spirits. This is the depth of the knowledge of God. Now, the mind of God, the directive from God, what God is accomplishing at junctures in our life, that's fulfilled by Yahweh, Jehovah. But the Elohim of his presence, his face, you know, Jacob called the place the house of Elohim because he had seen God face to face there. So, David is saying here at the very beginning um, of verse 11, don't take that from me. 
don't reject me from your face. And the negative is expressed here. But verse 11 is a twofold, a two pronged measure. It's lover and warrior, it's Elohim and Yahweh, it's the, the preciousness of God and how then we're led forward to represent that preciousness. So these two are here. The verse before, as we said, now for the fourth time, speaks about you committing yourself to what God has put you on this earth to fulfill. Then, with that established, you say, don't deprive me or reject me from knowing the depth of who you are, your face, and then let me participate in a partnership with your holiness or your Holy Spirit. This is earth-shaking to me because, again, it further exemplifies the principle that we have espoused over and over again, that authority from God comes from you knowing him. Directives from God comes from you spending time with him. If you're going to know the plan of Yahweh, of God from heaven, you've got to build the altar to, to, to know him on earth, Elohim on earth. It's over and over again. And here it is expressed in David's prayer. Do not reject me from your face or from the manifestation in the direction of your holiness and your Holy Spirit. So what does take not thy Holy Spirit from me mean? The title of this message is taken by the Spirit. And when you look at that word take, <clears throat> it is such a primer on how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. It's, it's really a dynamic of what we as saints have been experiencing for the past 25 years. And again, I'm not faulting the translators because to me it, it would be, as Luke would say, impossible to translate what is really said here in a concise one-sentence expression, one sentence of two phrases. They got the take part of this right. But it's not take not. It was don't reject me from knowing your face or from participating in the taking of holiness or the Holy Spirit. So if you were to look, and we're going to talk about this now, what that Hebrew word 
rightfully translated as take here means if you if you look at how this was used in the scripture and I'm just going to tell you I, I, I don't just run to Strong's grab something out or dare I say go into Vines even though I respect both of those I look through seven lexicons two of them Hebrew based um, lexicons to discover what I'm about to tell you so don't get antsy by saying I don't see that in strong where'd you get that pastor just trust me okay I'm not spinning you a web of lies here the take in this verse is right but the tone of the verse is David saying, I've committed myself to you, God. I, I, am, I am wanting my spirit to fulfill what you put me here to do. So don't reject me from your face and don't reject me from the taking of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the onus of this word which is rightfully translated as take, is to be taught and to be trained. It, it had really, in that regard, a threefold perspective. First of all, to learn, to be persuaded, to be directed, basically to be taught. So to learn, to be persuaded, directed, but to be taught. This is the essence of what the Holy Spirit does. And it's the essence of being prepared to partner in God's holiness, which is, again, what we've said over and over again throughout the years from the Scripture. Holiness is not about what you don't do. Holiness is partnering with God in fulfilling fulfilling what he desired to do from the foundation of the world. That's the essence of holiness, taking something that's undeveloped and in, in, as part of the plan of God, the eternal plan of God, and seeing it come into function. Taking something that has been made ugly or something that is awry or something that was twisted by the enemy in some iniquitous way or rebellious way and turning it back to the good. That's why the angels say, holy, holy, holy. It's all about fulfilling the purpose of God. So, if we're going to partner with holiness, if we're going to be saints, if we're going to partner with the angels, if we are going to align ourselves with what the Holy Spirit is doing, we're going to have to be a student. We're going to have to learn of Him. We're going to have to be trained, taught, persuaded, directed, by the Holy Spirit. Now you'd say, Pastor, why wouldn't this be essentially in the spirit of truth? Well, here's a, here's a distinction we need to learn. If you're really going to be sons that are being guided into all truth, truth in itself is discovering something by nature of the word, aletheia, 
something that was hidden, something that was not known, that the Spirit guides you into. You will not participate in that unless you have been willing to be taught by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. Um, you can you can depict this in a lot of different ways. I mean, why would you know the Spirit of Truth guides sons? If you want to be sons, how do you become a son? You you're willing to enroll in the tr in the training of God that's found in seeking His face. So God immediately, as saints, began to teach us and to train us from his word, didn't he? That's the essence of being a saint. That's the essence of holiness. That's the essence of the Holy Spirit. That's why God gave the Holy Spirit at the birth of the church. That's why he gave us the gift of tongues on that day so that we could speak the mysteries of God and gain interpretation. It's the doorway into the things of the Spirit. It's a communing language. But it's training. It's discovery. But you will never be entrusted as sons unless you walk this pathway of learning from the Spirit. Does that make sense? I'm so grateful for this understanding today because it reiterates what we've walked to do and to teach. Immediately, God put us on the pathway as saints when he touched and changed this congregation and dare I say when he did the same for each of you. He drew us to him. He, he, he heightened our 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 gift in the spirit realm through unknown tongues and diversities of tongues, he, by the directive of his spirit, put us on our face in proscuneo, which God searches for, and then through that relationship he began to teach us. He began to reveal what it was scripturally that we were doing. And through that then, he kept teaching us. The angels were sent to instruct us. And then as we submitted to that for a great period of time, because we had a lot to learn, still do, then he said, I'm going to give you assignments now. I'm going to guide you into truth. Didn't he do that? Which is the privilege of sons. So David says here, don't reject me from your face and don't remove the teaching of holiness the instruction of the Holy Spirit from me now the second dynamic of this teaching is to dispense knowledge what you learn you then teach Moses' song used this word. Um, Moses, who felt he had a speech impediment, 
suddenly becomes Mel Tillis after he comes across the river and starts singing. It's the same song that will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, but that's based on what the Holy Spirit has taught you. Isn't that wonderful? Some of you don't know who Mel Tillis was. Look it up or ask Dennis Stewart. The third part is that after you have been being taught and learning, and it's an ongoing present truth thing in the, in, as a saint in the Holy Spirit, you then are dispensing knowledge, but your objective third part is to recruit and to persuade. I think that's wonderful. Um, now, there were also applications of this word, functional applications. And these are very much there too. But the essence, hear this, don't get confused. The essence of this taking of the Holy Spirit and of the um, holiness is to be taught and to be persuaded by what you've learned. It's just what I've never understood, how some people could receive the deeper things of the Spirit of God in understanding and not be persuaded. It, it puts a new light in what was said to Jesus. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot to go here, so I've got to stop. But for somebody to say, like was said to Paul, almost pers uh, persuade us me to be a Christian, you've got the truth there in front of you, or if you had the truth and you turn away from it, or if you have the depth of what the Spirit is saying and you think that's not enough, I want nonsense that other people are publishing, which has largely been directed by a think tank that says, What's going to sell you more books? Let's get on that topic. I've seen that in action. Uh, there's nothing that I want more than what's in the Scripture. The only time I study other stuff is so that I can give an answer to people who I have responsibility for who've asked me a question about it. And I always say, if you by chance are reading some other thing, and I'm not disputing being aware of what's going on around you, the very first thing you should be asking yourself is, does this align with Scripture? And how does this align with what the God that I love and serve has shown me about the Scripture? That's a red line. And I, I just don't see how somebody can abandon what the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit, what holiness has shown you from the Word, or to set it aside as if it's just an option. This is what you should be learning. This is what you should be becoming. This is what you should be teaching. This is what you should be uh, recruiting and persuading. And when we go out to teach in foreign lands, which we're doing regularly all week long. And now as the doors have been opened to go again, there is no way I'm going to empower somebody to go in there and teach anything other than what God has given to us. It's what the Apostle Paul says. I don't trouble myself with another man's teaching. 
I bless them. But what has God given me? What has the Holy Spirit taught me in the Word? That's when I'm before his face and he's whispered that to me and he's shown me the depth of his Word. That's from God. And as the old preacher used to say, believe you me, that's the most important thing that I need to know, that I need to teach, and that what I need to persuade with. And if you don't treasure that, there's something wrong with you. Just to be very honest. Wow, I got off. I got off on a tangent there, didn't I? So this word was used in some other ways. Once you're in that process of being taught and learning, being persuaded, dispensing, teaching, singing, prophesying, recruiting, and persuading, an, another primary pa uh, facet of what the Holy Spirit does and what holiness does, hear this now, now hear this, is to be positioned, to be placed, this word was used to talk about David being taken from a commoner to being placed as a king. This, was, this word was used to describe how the Levites were chosen and placed. This word was used if somebody were to find the one that God ordained for them to marry, to, to take a par partner, spouse. This word was used when it described the birthright that Esau had that Joseph then gained. So it's kingship, it's priestly service, it's birthright, it's partnership, not just in the marital covenant, but partners in general. These are all directed, or should be, by the dynamic of the Holy Spirit or holiness. And I, I'm, I, I cannot emphasize this enough, but, but this positioning and placement, it's for the advantage of what God has called you to be and to do. It, it's also very interesting, some miraculous interventions. This word was used to describe how the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit carried Ezekiel away into the valley of dry bones. Isn't that amazing? People focus on the lock of the hair. Some of you don't have enough hair for the Spirit to lock onto. We have to recognize that it's the partnership with the Holy Spirit, the dedication to learn from Him, to <clears throat> to be positioned and to stick with it. Otherwise, you won't... If God put you in a valley of dry bones, you're going to begin to gripe and complain. You're going to rebuke those dry bones because God has called you to be blessed. What am I doing here in this valley of dry bones? Holy Spirit, holiness turns things that have been corrupted or iniquitized, I know that's not a word, and turns it back to what God wants. And if you're not in that training and if you're not in that positioning in partnership with the Spirit, 
why in the world would God ever put you in a valley of dry bones? All you'll do is gripe and call your friends to see if there's another position available. That's preaching. When the sons of the prophets came to Elisha, said, do you know that Elijah is your master's going to be taken away to use this word so obviously there was a foreknowledge amongst the prophets that God was going to reposition Elijah and reposition Elisha and Elisha said I know hold your peace I don't need you to tell me that why did he say that well first of all those underlings were irritating underlings can be that sometimes um, why would they think that Elisha who was the heir to Elijah who was called to partner with him why would they think that he wouldn't know that <laughs> I could go off on that but that explains the, the re, almost the rebuking response of Elisha. But that whole transaction was embodied in this word. You know, it's used to talk about how an eagle trains the young to fly. And when the baby bird is somehow either saved or carried out on the wings of the eagle, he uses this word. Interesting. Two other facets of this word. Um, when Israel would gain victory in warfare, this word was used to describe their taking of spoils, their gaining of the victory, the overcomer's treasure. I think that's interesting. And then in a tangential way but yet a very appropriate way when God commanded the angel to take a coal from off the altar and to touch it to Isaiah's lips take is this word now there are other ways that this word is used in the old no there are other usages of this word to just gen generally describe the taking of something or whatever because um, this word's used a lot but the essence of the word means what I've told you and the the dynamism of the word is showcased in these things that I've mentioned and in several other instances too but we don't have time to do that I'm, I'm just giving you the essence of this and is so often the case people knew that dynamic of the things of God and then they used a word that spoke about the holy to be applied in many other things that's just common sense because everything really flows from God so let's go back to what David says here in Psalm 51, verse 10 and 11. 
God, I'm coming before you. I've asked that you would forgive me of my sins. You've washed me. Um, you're, you're good. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned. All of that, you've you got to get that first. But then he comes into this crucial understanding of his relationship with God. The most important thing to me, God, is that I will fulfill and be ready to fulfill what you put me on this earth for with the spirit within. We have the advantage over David. Jesus' blood was not shed yet in David's time so that his spirit could be born again. We have that advantage. Thanks be to God. But God was still teaching in this type and anti-type in the Old Covenant what the Spirit really is for. I love that about God. So David says, I want to fulfill what my Spirit, that, that deposit from you for my life on this earth, the candle of the Lord. It's the Spirit giving life to me. I'll surrender this at some point but at your directive when it's time for me to be done on this earth. But for now, let my spirit be willing to fulfill why you gave it to me and I will renew what the steering wheel, the directive of my heart. I'll, I will rededicate that to you. That's essential. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So many times we get that backwards. Well, God, you come and touch me. Oh, no, no, I don't want to be bothered by, you know, responsibility. You know, I just want to seek God. I don't want to do any work. I've had people tell me that. You've heard it. Maybe you felt it. Oh, we love to come to your, your church. We love to feel the presence of God. We love the presence of the angelic. Oh, tell us more about that. But, yeah, well, okay. But when you're praying, you've got to learn to interpret. That's what the scripture says. You've got to learn to serve, take responsibility, take up your cross. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. That's work. I remember one time there was a person who for a very short time, not by, by my directive, was made prayer director here many years ago. And this person said, you know, I really want to seek the Lord, but I don't really want to have to have any responsibility in this office. I just want to seek the Lord. Well, I'm sorry. If you're going to be a lover of God, you're also going to have to be willing to be a good soldier. If you're going to receive from God, you've got to take responsibility for that. If you're going to go before the throne of grace, you're going to emerge with an assignment of faith that you've got to walk. You cannot separate that in God. So, David, first of all, says, forgive me, cleanse me, I'm dedicating myself to your purpose, and with that then, I must have the pleasure of your face and your ways. 
and I must have the instruction of your spirit, of your holiness. I must know you, but I then, through that, learn from you. And that's what I will be. That will be my persuasion. That's what I will teach. That's what I will embody. That's what I will, by your directive, seek to persuade others to be disciples. I will be positioned through that to serve you, your placement. And here's the essence of being prophet, priest, and king because the root of those was found in this partnership with being trained in holiness as saints. The assignment, the valley of dry bones, will never happen unless you are in this training regimen because that's what the Holy Spirit did in positioning Eli Ezekiel. Um, monumental transitions in the spirit realm happen in conjunction with this. We're being caused to mount up with wings as eagles to learn how to flow on the winds of the spirit. It happens through this. We're going to gain victory in warfare and we're going to triumph and gain overcomer's crown. It happens through this. If we're going to be encountering God in the year that King Uzziah died, we see the Lord. His train fills the temple. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Take a coal from off the altar. Take the coal and touch it to my lips. Here am I. Send me. If we're going to be that, we must be in the training regimen of holiness and the Holy Spirit. This is the essence of of being a saint, being a holy before God. This is the essence of partnering with the angels who cry, holy, holy, holy. I love this. And one of the reasons that I just rejoice in this, and you should too, is the very things that I've just been privileged to tell you about this word or the things you've lived as saints and then you can see how the enemy would attack different saints oh you know there are other words from God you know you and, and even the scripture the enemy says it's not accurate. Let me give you some doctrines of devils. Have we not experienced that? Yeah, we have. Oh, there are other things. You know, I know that God has given us so much, but what about this over here? What about that over here? And the divine instructor says, class, Keep your eyes on what I'm teaching you. This is what I've given you responsibility for. Don't be looking across the out the door and across the hallway to the cute little girl in the next class and trying to crane your, your ear to hear what that teacher's teaching. You're going to need to know this. 
Oh, it's too hard for me. I don't understand. Well, pray more in the Spirit so your eyes will be enlightened and that Spirit within will grasp this. No excuses. It's not acceptable for you to say, I don't understand what the Spirit is trying to teach you. I have no patience with this. We should be beyond that. Oh, but I'm not really happy with where God has placed me. I have ambitions to the corner office. I should be over here. But God makes me stay back here. I don't even know what to say about that because it's the, the spirit of holiness that places you. Was it God's desire for Elijah and Elisha not to work together? No. He wanted them to work together. What doest thou here, Elijah? Ah, there's just so much here. So, Create in me a clean heart, O God, Elohim, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not remove the privilege of knowing you in your face. And do not remove the taking of the Holy, the taking of the Holy Spirit. I need that instruction in holiness. I need that ongoing revelation as a saint. Because this is who you are. David said, don't let me de be deprived of that. Can we say the same thing? What else then does David say? Restore me in the pathway of joy that brings deliverance. And let me be girded up to move in the bounty of your spirit. Then... I will teach transgressors. Then I will speak and teach those who need to be converted to you. It's the same concept. <laughs> so, I speak this over all the saints. I thank the Father for leading us in this way. But I speak this, and I declare life. Be blessed, saints. God bless you, and goodbye.